Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer, and this week we have Jerwin with us. Welcome to the podcast, Jerwin. Hey guys, great to be here. Glad to have you back. You uh, gave us some kick-ass episodes last year. I think you filled in once as a guest host, but also didn't you and Jordan do an episode, just the two of you last year? Yes, the chaos episode with hopefully hopefully we'll get that back together sometime later in the season. Give you and Jake a break and uh we can we can see how well I can do on uh random hot takes again. Yeah, sounds good. Looking forward to that. Um we have a lot to talk about this week. Going to be bringing back some rankings debates. So without further ado, let's jump into the prior week recap looking back at week 4. Jake and I both, if you remember, had the exact same picks for all six matchups, and it did not end well for us. We both went two and four. So I'm off to a very, very, very bad start to the year. Jake, luckily, is still floating above 500 with a 10 and 8 record overall. But, fellas, I wrote three big takeaways, but I know that we're going to stick with six total among the three of us, which I guess that means is really going to be two big takeaways this week. So, Jerwin, why don't you kick us off and give us your first of two big takeaways from week four? So I talked about this with Jordan and Jake this week, but I feel like this year is a lot more competitive than we've had in the past. And the reason why is I feel like going into Sundays last year, there was maybe two or three teams on the bubble for the median kind of duking it out and there would be like one or two that that lost out that fight but this year it's felt like it's been closer to four or six teams um who are like right there and they could either you know have a good sunday and finish above or have a bad one and finish below um i think it just speaks a lot to how close the teams are this year even though there is like some definitive like best teams and lower teams but the gap i think is not as large as it's been in the past i'll just jump in because that was also i i am also on this episode by the way uh <laughs> hey jake my, my first yeah hi everybody my first <laughs> takeaway was that uh nobody is safe which is just Kind of similar to what Jerwin had. Uh, we had a team that was winless, just beat the hand the lone unbeaten team their first loss. Uh, league The league, to me, feels a lot more even across the board this year. Um, I know that Nick, Sam, and Eddie have all gone off to terrific starts, but uh, just looking at the roster construction for everybody, there's not really a team that stands out. And I, I know that Sam is I, – I like Sam's roster the most, but there, does, there is not a roster to me that stands out as being an absolute juggernaut right now. Um, it's way too early to be thinking about a winner, but the field feels pretty wide open to me. My first big takeaway is that a strong offense seems to be the common denominator among the top teams in the league. And this is kind of surprising. Uh, it wasn't originally part of my first takeaway, but I just noticed it when I was diving into that first point. But a strong pitching staff kind of seems to be the common denominator among the bottom teams in the league so each of the top three teams in the league which currently are nick sam and jc 
have sourced quite a bit more of their total points so far on the season from offense than they have from pitching. And that kind of tracks because they're three of the top four offensive teams so far in the entire league, which is pretty interesting to note given that offense around the real life Major League Baseball league has been way down relative to previous seasons. Um, You would think in that case that pitching would be kind of carrying the top teams early on in the season. But the only two teams uh, where pitching on their team has vastly outscored the offense are Brendan and Jerwin's teams, which are two of the bottom three teams. So maybe, you know, Jake, you said that your forte in the past has always been marked by a strong pitching staff when you've done well. Maybe we're seeing a shift in successful team building. I'll toss it to back to you, Jake, for your second big takeaway. So if you give me one second to pull it up, I was actually just going to pull up the league history document just real quick because I think that was that's actually been a trend the last couple of years where the hitter points have been higher than the pitcher points for pretty much everybody. In a brief once over of last year, looks like that was true for. Sorry, I know <laughs> I know this is the opposite of moving fast, but no, it's okay. I just thought this was interesting to look at this because I did notice this last year. Uh, it looks like that is the case for. Not interested in keeping everybody suspenseful. So okay, so this is that was the case <laughs> for nine of our twelve teams last year had more finished. Okay, so offense dominated last year for 75% of the league. That's interesting. Nine out of 12 teams last year. So yeah, it's something that I don't want to spoil later in the episode, but that was my first big takeaway. Jake, what was your second big takeaway? Uh, so this was more, um, I guess this is going to be a little less fantasy relevant, but I thought this was kind of funny to talk about. Uh, two more pitchers have left the Pirates and become really really good and one of them went to Colorado of all places and is suddenly good which you really hate to see if you're a Pirates fan you know the Colorado Rockies can figure out something that you can't that normally does not bode well for your team but uh Chad Cool has gone to Colorado and he's been good but before we kind of poo-poo this as being bad there was a real change that was made here uh ditched his awful four seam replaced it with a high spin sinker it's not really an elite pitch but it is much better than his fastball, which was just dreadful. Uh, it's allowed his slider to play up, play up a little bit. Um, he's actually gained uh, nearly 10 points on his swinging strike rate for that pitch, which is pretty insane. For over, It's a pretty insane gain for one year. Uh, not only that, going by run value, we saw that Chad Cool's slider is actually tied for the top pitch in all of baseball right now. Uh, I don't have data from his start today. I know that he I think he gave up five runs in four innings against the Giants, but overall, really strong start for Cool. The other guy I wanted to highlight was uh, Clay Holmes, if we remember him from the Pirates. He already has four wins and a sub one ERA for the Yankees out of pitching out of the bullpen, and it seems like he's pitching just about every day. So, really, two more pitchers to just add to the pile of guys that leave Pittsburgh and uh, discover another gear. Jeremy, what was your second big takeaway from week four? 
So this is a bit of a long one, but bear with me. It sort of ties into my first one where we have a really competitive league. My second takeaway is setting lineups is really hard. And given that the league is so competitive this year, it can have big consequences. So two examples from my matchup last week, Eddie left 92 points worth of hitting on his bench, as well as 22 points from Eduardo Rodriguez, who he could have started in place of Steven Matz, who blew it up, blew it up on Sunday. I, on the other hand, uh, had I started Gregory Soto, who scored a total of zero points this past week, over his own setup man, Michael Former, I would have had 11 more points because Former had a blown save and a loss. I would have been over the median by like half a point, and I would be in third in the West Division at four and four. So, um, yeah, putting putting the right players in at the right time. It's the name of the game. It's fantasy baseball. She's a fickle mitch mistress, but it can have real consequences because if it comes down, especially in the West, where there's a non-zero chance that only the top three teams from the West are going to make it to the playoffs this year. If you miss out on one of those top three spots by a game and it could have been saved by one roster swap, then that's a huge deal. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting point to bring up. Like I think that truthfully, that is probably one of my biggest weaknesses as, as a fantasy manager is lineup. I don't want to say construction because that almost seems like team building, but just setting your lineup on a weekly basis. Like I'm very, I, f I feel like I'm very strong in gathering a lot of quality options to start, but then when it comes down to the wire and you have to decide which, which guys are you going to start for the next seven days? That's something that I feel like I'm always getting wrong and it's frustrating. The only point I'll challenge you on is I feel like, because the West division is so weak, like it, it makes sense on the surface to say, okay, probably only three teams, the top three, are going to make playoffs from the West division this year. But for Brendan and Scott, who I think have teams of a similar ilk to some of the middling or weaker teams here in the West division, there's four of us that are three and five. So uh, they're going to have a lot steeper hill to climb than us because they're playing more games against the top teams in their division. So I think like we think, you know, there might be on the surface only three teams from the West division to make the playoffs. I think it might have the opposite effect where of course there's going to be probably four teams in the East to make the playoffs because they're looking really strong early. But I think that's also naturally going to push down the bottom two teams in that division way down for the fourth place team in the West to sneak in as well. Um, not my second big takeaway. My actual takeaway is in what we considered to be a scarce position, we might have two league MVPs this year. And I'm referring to Manny Machado in the National League and Jose Ramirez in the American League, who are currently, I haven't checked after tonight's games got started, but when I was writing this earlier today, they were currently the top two hitters. And Ramirez was one single away from both of these guys being the top two players overall in fantasy. And I know that this doesn't necessarily make 
you feel great about the position at large. But man, you know, how would you guys, Jake and Jerwin, value these two in a draft today, knowing that they're kind of the MVP front runners at third base, which I still consider to be a pretty scarce position? I, I'm going to be honest. I probably wouldn't value them any differently than I did preseason. I had Machado pretty. I had Machado as we're think we're saying like strictly redraft. So I'm just Strict, strictly redraft. Back to, yep. Yeah. So I'm not thinking where I had keepers, but yeah, I, I had Machado as kind of a early second rounder, and Jose Ramirez was my third overall hitter. And I don't think I would change either of those. You wouldn't bump Manny to the first round. Uh, I mean, like maybe I could bump him to like the end of the first round, but like he's, he's not, that's kind of in the same range. I already had him. So, okay. He's the number one overall player right now. Jaron, what do you think? Yeah. Similar to Jake, I kind of, well, I definitely had Ramirez. Like I, I was keeping Turner, so I wasn't going to get him. But if I had that first round pick and Ramirez was there, that's an easy take. I was hoping to get, Machado um, with my second round pick, but he wasn't there. So I took Lucas Giolito, not upset about that, but um, yeah, I think that quote unquote reach for Machado, I, I would have made the same move and certainly would now, obviously. Yeah. It's paying I should, when I, when I say like back end of this or, front end of the second round. Like I, I am kind of talking in that like 11 to 13 range. So it's not really, he's not really. So where he went off essentially yeah, in our draft, but um, uh, for a redraft, he would have, I, I would have him around that range. And I did have him around that range anyways. Sure. Well, cool. That is our, those are our big takeaways from week four top three standings update in the East division. We have in third place, the NFTs, JC, with a 5-3 and three record. In second place, Sam's team, weak pullout hitter with a 6-2 and two record. And a surprising loss last week that Nick took to Brendan's team head-to-head. Uh, Nick is no longer unbeaten, but he is still the first-place team in the East Division. Freedom All-Stars with a 7-1 and one record. And then over in the West Division, in third place, somehow still my team, Demons in the infield with a three and five record. There's a four-way tie in the in the West Division right now in terms of head-to-head record or overall record. There's four of us with a three and five record, but somehow I'm still in third. Second place is Jordan's team, the Walk Institute of Research, sitting at 500, four and four. And uh, still holding on to that first place spot is Eddie, gone forever with a five and three record. We'll see if he can defend that winning record. He's the only one with a winning record in the West Division. I'm playing him this week. If I were able to deliver him an 0 and 2 loss this week, he would be knocked down to 500, basically right there with the rest of us. So we'll see what happens with that one. Trades that have happened since last week's episode two big ones. And. Jerwin, you were involved with the first one. Jordan gave up Ty France, who's been super hot to start the year. Michael Kopech and Jock Peterson. And in return, you gave him your son, Lucas Giolito, and Jordan's son, Glaber Torres. Kick us off with your thoughts, your insights, the why behind this move that you made. So not because I heard it on the podcast and thought I should do it, but because I already knew when I was listening to the podcast that I needed help on offense. 
Um, I wanted, so I texted Jordan. I said, hey, do you want to make a blockbuster? And he was like, sure. And he said, let's do some algebra. Tie France plus X equals Lucas Giolito. And, you know, we talked, settled on Kopech as a, you know, fill in on the roster spot while I'm waiting for DeGrom to get back and Mize to get back. Um, and also has that Sparp eligibility, which is a nice plus. And then Ty France, who's obviously been really hot this year at second base, a position I definitely need, and first base, so it gives me some flexibility. And then he wanted Glaber for the memes, and I just added an, another bench player. So, Jake, what were your thoughts on this trade? <laughs> this is kind of, uh, well, I, I think I prefer Giolito because I, he's the best player in the deal. And uh, I kind of like the increased velocity. It's been, it's been kind of nice to see, but I mean, I don't hate the return. I think Ty France is kind of, he's hitting over his head right now. There's not really a whole lot that looks different to me from last year's version of Ty France. I think that he's still good, but I don't, I don't know that he's reached like a star player gear, I guess. Uh, Glaber might be, might actually be a useful player. He's kind of turned it around a little bit. I know that was just kind of like the meme part of it, but that actually might end up being a useful part of Jordan's return. I do like Kopech a lot though. Yeah. I know that his stuff has kind of suffered since joining the rotation. Um, he's not really been very consistent, but I still believe he has that that gear in him. In him, so I didn't. I, I preferred the side that Jordan got mostly because he got the best player, but I don't. I don't hate the other return. Yeah, I I I feel the same way, Jake. And to add to your point, um, not only did he get give the best player, but of the two of these teams that could afford to, I guess empty the clip so to speak give more good players than he got in return in terms of quantity jordan's team was in a better position to do that than jerwin's team to kind of give two productive players to get only just one back that one being an elite productive player in giolito but uh i and i I like the move from jerwin's side too i think jerwin recognized we've talked about it for two or three weeks in a row now that he he didn't have much ammo to work with unless he's willing to move his best players. And he's done that now with Trey Turner, with Lucas Giolito. What I'm most impressed about this trade is that Jordan didn't trade Mike Trout to get Glaber Torres. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of the progress that Jordan has made. So props, props to you two. That was a, it was a good trade. I thought, I, I thought it made sense for both teams. The I second, appreciate Jarwin being able to make the hard decision to depart with Lucas Giulio. Yes. I will say, like, I, I think I think I agree with you guys also. Like, I would if I was not involved in this trade, I would prefer Jordan's side because I love Lucas Giolito and he he really is an elite pitcher. And I think like Jake's right, like he's got some signs already this year that he he's can even improve on the player that he already is but i think adding ty france and michael kopech who also has some keeper value so like hedging mm-hmm. my bets a little bit 
I think it was the right move for my team in in this moment, the way my team is right now. Yeah, and Jaron, you and I were actually texting earlier this week. It was mostly you just kind of sharing insights on where you're at with your team, how you see it. Um, I like that you've been making seemingly equal value like from an overall standpoint, just from a redraft lens with the moves that you made this one, the other one being the deal where you got Tim Anderson. But you're kind of like sneakily adding in these players that have keeper value like a Tim Anderson, like a Michael Kopech, so that even if it doesn't work out for your team this year, you're kind of reloading your keeper pool moving forward. So I think that that's an underrated part of these trades that you're making. Like, yeah, maybe you're not the winner. Like so far we've, we've been saying, you know, we prefer the other side of these trades that you've made, but I think in the same breath, you know, we're saying these are even trades and the underrated aspect, the overlooked aspect is the fact that you are sneaking in these guys that have pretty good keeper value moving forward. The second trade of the week was another big one uh, between two guys that frequent this part of the segment or this part of the podcast, Mike and Nick. Mike gave up Ronald Acuna Jr., Edwin Diaz, and Jack Leiter, and Nick gave up Shohei Otani and O'Neill Cruz. Jake, why don't you kick us off with your thoughts on this blockbuster trade? Uh, I'll just reiterate my thoughts that I think I already said, but uh, on an earlier podcast. To me, I have no idea why Jack Leiter was even drafted. He's not coming up this year. Good chance he's not up next year either. And at that point, like to me, he's almost a net negative because you're just wasting a roster spot on a guy that, like, I don't know. So he's, he's a non-factor to me. I think I prefer Mike's side just because the combination of star power and keeper value with Otani. And I'm, I'm really, really digging Otani as a pitcher this year. I think you could really could easily use him there. Whereas last year you stuck him in just for his bat. It was a pretty clear choice. Uh, but this year he's making it difficult to leave him there. I, like he inning per inning, he's he's up there with with the best of them. Uh, that being said, I do love. I will always love Ronald Cunha. So I don't think it's like a. I don't. I don't think it's very. I don't think it's lopsided. But I think the combination of star power and uh, keeper value. Puts Otani puts the side with Otani over for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't prefer one side or the other, but I agree with you that uh, Otani this year as a pitcher, I think is is the clear choice, and that's so interesting to me. That not only you know the story of Otani was like first year he got signed from Japan, he's this two way player, probably got drafted earlier than he should have with you know it being his first year in the MLB. And it was interesting to see this guy that, okay, we could see how he could be useful as a hitter. We could see how he would be useful as a pitcher. You know, fast forward to last year, he is one of the best hitters in the league. I think he hit, what, 41 home runs, something like that. He hit well over four. I know he hit, he cleared 40. So it was clear, like, okay, Shohei Otani's value in a weekly fantasy league is going to be as a hitter. And then this year, he's pitching like, He's not going to get the volume, I don't think, uh, you know, of a Cy Young, but on an inning per inning basis, you know, he is up there with those guys that are going to be finalists for the Cy, Cy Young Award. So I think it's very clear that his value is best served as a pitcher this year in fantasy. 
And the reason why I, so I, I agree with you, the keeper value is another thing to consider in this trade, which is awesome for Mike, but Nick's pitching rotation is already stacked. So I think that Nick got his best use out of Otani by trading him away for a first round hitter. And not to mention a guy that's drafted as a top three to four closer every year in Edwin Diaz. I agree. Jack Leiter's probably a non-factor. O'Neill Cruz, I love him as a Pirates fan. I hope he does well. In this format, I'm nervous that he's not going to be a great player. I'm nervous that he is not even going to be consistently a good player because of how much swing and miss in his game there is. Um, so let's you know, kind of exclude the prospects. I see this as Acuna and Diaz for Shohei Otani. I think it's exactly what each team was needing, was looking for, and I think that the value is right on both sides. So I really like this trade. I said that as soon as they made it in the group chat. Jerwin, what were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, not too different from from you guys. I can I can wrap my head around Diaz and Acuna for Otani, and you know I I've always liked Diaz. Obviously, Acuna is Acuna, and Otani is he's special. So take a drink. Um, but yeah, nice. I, I agree. the The other two guys are the other two guys are a non-factor. O'Neill Cruz. I, if I'm gonna give it to anyone. I'll give it to Mike again because Otani is special, and I I, I would take <laughs> I would take O'Neill Cruz over Jack Leiter at this point for sure. If anyone's going to produce, it's likely neither of them do to a fantasy relevant degree. But if anyone's going to, it's going to be Cruz. Agreed. Agreed. All right, well, let's get to those rankings debates that I promised. I know I set this up as we're going to do the first, we're going to do pitchers first and then hitters, but let's make this fun and go back and forth. We're still going to start with pitchers. Um, as you guys might remember from a few episodes ago, Jake has decided to rank his top 100 pitchers and kind of keep that updated throughout the year so that we can have this as a recurring segment when guests come on. I decided, or I should say we decided together that I would rank hitters so that we could kind of do the opposite end of the spectrum when we have guests on as well. So Jake had Jerwin pick three players in his pitcher rankings that he has a dispute with, and I had Jerwin do the same with my hitters rankings. So uh, Jerwin, why don't you tell us the first pitcher that you have a problem with how Jake, Jake ranked them? So we'll start at the top of the rankings the one i had a problem with i think dylan cease is too low at 26 overall is where jake has him um i don't know if you want me to start with my case or how we want to do this exactly so so cease has obviously been really good he he started off good. He, he had a decent season last year and has only continued to improve and break out this season. Um, at a surface level, Otani at 25 ahead of him, obviously Otani's amazing, but he does have the volume issue, which could hurt him down the stretch. Cease has... He pitched a full season last year, right? Like he was up the whole time. He did. Yep. So a little bit less of an issue, I think, for Cease. 
uh, Freddie Peralta and Charlie Morton have both struggled so far this year. Um, and Morton's had his, or no, that he's not the velocity guy. Um, further up the list, I, Alec Manoa and McClanahan, I think, are tougher sells to make. Kershaw also has been really good, but he also has volume concerns because you don't know when he's going to miss a week or two or a month or so with like a back or a a shoulder or something like that. Um, So yeah, I think Cease, I would have closer to the 20 mark rather than back at 26. Another back injury for Kershaw might send him into early retirement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I get the breakout case for Cease. I mean, you look at his, you look at his Savant page and it's, a very nice color. Basically, everything is a very nice shade of red. But uh, I mean, a lot of people bought into that heavily last year. Very popular breakout pick, thirty-two percent K rate, really low FIP. Uh, a lot of some of his, a lot of his improvements have carried over. The slider improved last year. That's that's gone. That's continued this year. Fastballs t- actually taken a small step forward this year. Uh, Curveball's been better than expected. I was actually kind of down on Cease relative to the, uh, I think I, preseason I had him in the low 30s, I want to say. So I have moved him up. But all of this to say, like, there's a lot of signs that we usually look for in a breakout. Um, and he has been, I'm not trying to discount what he's done so far, but he hasn't really alleviated the major concern I had about him in the preseason. And that's why he's not higher. He, he, we, we already said he pitched a full season last year. He only threw 166 innings and 32 starts. And so the White Sox, they, they weren't even limiting him. They, they were just, they were letting him go. They were letting him fly. And he was so, in, he was so inefficient. It's so inconsistent that he rarely lasted six innings. And that, that trend has persisted this year. Uh, for as good as he's been, he's only gone over six innings twice in six starts. And that's despite throwing over 90 pitches in every start but one. So he's he, it's not like they're yanking him early. They're letting him go. He's just still be he's still inconsistent. He's still really inefficient. And he's just the volume just hasn't been there. So that was my biggest concern with him heading into the year. And he hasn't really done that's kind of continued this year. Now he hasn't done anything to alleviate that. Uh, the improved command hasn't really consistently been there either, where I would think that maybe this would turn around in the near future. Uh, so really, I guess all this to say, I, I don't see him, I don't see myself moving him up very much uh, from where he is, at least not as things currently stand. Uh, Otani on a pitch by pitch basis. I, I really like what Otani's done this year. I don't think that he's going to have consistent, at least inconsistent outings like, like Ceswell, where he's, he's or at least not as often. Uh, Peralta actually looks pretty good under the hit under the hood. Um, he's one maybe if he continues to struggle. Let me ju- let me jump in and name one guy that Jerwin mentioned. That all all these guys that you're talking about, I can I I don't really have a strong opinion as to whether C should be ahead of them or behind them. There is one guy that Jerwin mentioned that I would be very curious to know your defense of why he's in front of Dylan Cease, and that's Charlie Morton. Who has, well, actually, I, I don't I know can, if he misread the sheet or not. Charlie Morton's actually behind Dylan. Okay. Definitely, okay. 
I was okay. definitely looking at the wrong one. Morton's okay. 27 now, Cease is 26. Okay, so he's Charlie Morton is behind, but why are those guys deserving of being one spot apart when, and I'm only reading kind of the easiest stats available to me, but Charlie Morton has a 541 XERA. His strikeout to walk percentage is 4.5%, which is awful. Yeah, so I guess with, just to, to give a quick defense of Charlie Morton, um, in which like I had I have moved him down a lot. I had him. I was very high on him coming into the year. So he's moved down. I want to say he was fifteen or sixteen for me to begin the year. So he's moved down almost quite a the whole bit. tier. Yeah, yeah. So almost like, I, over I twelve. Don't, I, I don't normally make like sweeping changes like as early as it is so sure. but he's one where i've where i've really dropped but so that's probably why he's not further just because he started up so high. i guess another reason is like under the hood in terms of like his stuff it doesn't really look all that different to me like his there's his velocity is not down that was his last start it was actually up from last year uh his curveball has looked the same i don't see anything really wrong there Yes, I'm not panicking. I'm not totally panicking on the walks yet because it's just like that's never really been a huge issue for him, at least not as of late. So I'm wondering if it's more of a feel thing rather than something that he just kind of has to sort out rather than this is just who he is now. So I guess like that's my I, I'm not I'm not crazy about what he's done so far. Like I benched him this week, mm-hmm. so I don't have I, I am I am concerned about him, but. I think this is probably for the way that I like to rank. This is probably appropriate for how high I have. They're not being, at least to me, there's not any, there's not any major red flags out there right now, at least for me looking at it, where I would think like this is the end for Charlie Morton. Yeah. And something that you said just made me want to announce a disclaimer for my hitter rankings. You mentioned that you rarely make big changes to your pitcher rankings so early in the season. I think the hitter rankings was almost a tougher task to tackle because I think that hitter rankings, they feel to me a lot more fluid than pitcher rankings. Maybe it's because like we see hitters every day. We see pitchers once every five or six days. But uh, it feels like a, and I also have admitted this on the podcast before. I think I have a hard, a tougher time like valuing hitters or identifying breakout hitters than I do pitching counterparts. So that was kind of like an extra challenge for me. All that to say, Jerwin's the first guest to challenge me on these hitter rankings. For any future guests, take it easy on me. This is my first time doing these hitter rankings. I'd be more comfortable doing pitcher, but I know that that's Jake's area of expertise all right jerwin tell me who the first hitter in my hitter rankings you have a dispute about so i picked this one not because i have a super strong feeling about it although i do have strong feelings about the player himself but because i just want to talk about what is going on with trey turner so you had him at four uh, on your Five. earlier rankings. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, yeah, my first set. Yep. Had him at four in the first set, dropped him down to five, put him, put Manny Machado ahead of him, which 
totally agree with. Machado's been great, and as we know, third base is a desert. But Trey Turner has, he's just not looked like himself this year so far. He's, some of the underlying numbers, like his hard hit is still doing good. The thing that stuck out to me as I was looking through is that his launch angle was really down this year. So he's hitting, he's just driving it straight into the ground, kind of like what you guys talked about last year with Vlad Guerrero and how, where he was struggling to get the ball in the air before he had his big breakout. Um, But uh, looking at like shortstop and second base, which is Trey Turner's eligibility, he's only shortstop nine, second base uh, 10. So at, I, I, I will say if a player is going to be able to turn it around, it's a player like Trey Turner. So I do have faith that he'll be able to pull it out. But I think I would at least drop him below Mike Trout, who is absolutely tearing it up right now. He's being the same Mike Trout we've known and loved. He has injury concerns just because the past few years have been rough for him there. But I don't know. I think Trey Turner is, is... at least one spot too high for me right now, but maybe more given how how rough it's been for him so far this season. Yeah, and you, you, I think you alluded to it, but I have Mike Trout one spot below Trey Turner at sixth. Uh, just as a an overarching note, these hitter rankings, like I didn't really, like I said, this is my first time doing this, so my in no particular weighting my considerations were some hybrid combination of what they're currently doing what i thought that they were going to do preseason the position that they play and how scarce that position is and where i think that they would go if we redrafted today in a strict redraft league relative to other hitters so trey turner uh has a long track record of being elite, as do, as do guys behind him. Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Freddie Freeman are the three guys that I have right behind him. What I'm kind of noticing, uh, I didn't even rank them this way on purpose, but I'm noticing my top five, which are, and I'll get back to Trey Turner specifically here in a minute. My top five in order right now are Jose Ramirez, who I moved up from two to one, uh, my first set of rankings was a week and a half ago. My most recent was two days ago. So I moved Jose Ramirez from two to one. Uh, Juan Soto is second, Vlad third, Machado fourth, and Trey Turner fifth. Now I know early in his career, Trey Turner got hit, I think, in the hand, broke his wrist, and was out for a good chunk of a season. But since, these five guys have been, and I know it's it's maybe not as fair to say for the younger guys like Soto and Vlad, but these guys have been the the epitome of available, durable players. Whereas the guys right behind them, Mike Trout in particular, like he is a super stud when he's available, but there have been questions about the health and the durability over the years. Back to Trey Turner specifically, last year in particular, so the most recent production, 
Um, he finishes the number two overall shortstop, the number two overall second baseman, the number six overall hitter. Uh, this year, his sprint speed is still the best in the league, 100th percentile sprint speed. His hard hit percentage and max exit velocity are still elite. I just think what's been missing so far this year is that he hasn't been able to find his approach at the plate quite yet. And it's it's showing so far in his barrel percentage, which is just in the 31st percentile. It's pretty bad. And in his walk percentage, which is in the 51st percentile, so really just league average. Whereas he's traditionally been a pretty, pretty good to elite plate disciplined player. But for me personally, I'm taking the easy bet and believing that he is still super elite in both of those metrics over a full season with dual eligibility at positions that I consider still to be very premium in second base and shortstop. So I think that you have a good case to rank Mike Trout ahead of Trey Turner, but I do think in the end it's it's probably a preference, a coin flip thing, and right now I still have Trey Turner in my top five. So I don't think you can get me to move move him off number five quite yet. I'd be interested, you know, if three weeks from now, a month from now, he's still struggling, I can definitely, I can see why it would be easy to move Mike Trout up to that top five spot. I mean, I certainly hope not. I still have him in my dynasty league, so I didn't, I didn't get rid of all my st- stock in Trey Turner because I, I also believe, but. Yeah, it's been weird for him so far this year. It's it's like you're right. Uh, the exit velocity, he's hitting the ball hard. He's just he's not getting on base. I'll also say, for a lot of his career, he's been the leadoff guy. And I think early in the season, the Dodgers were playing him in the three spot. I saw mm-hmm. the other day he was starting leadoff. I don't know if they're thinking about moving him. I don't know if that's going to have a big effect. When I've had him in my dynasty league, I've liked it more when he's playing as the leadoff guy, but that's also a categories league. So steals are important. So playing a, in leadoff is gets more steal opportunities. But anyways. Yeah, and I know that Trey Turner himself is definitely not the best hitter in the Dodgers lineup, at least definitely not currently. But uh, Mike Trout plays on a a much worse team offensively, and he's not even the best hitter on his team. Taylor Ward is tearing it up this year. How can I give Mike Mike Trout a top spot, top five spot? But he can't even be the best hitter on the Angels. (laughs) Rough. Jake, uh, I should say, Jerwin, who is your second pitcher dispute of Jake's? Remember, we're saving... I don't. You're gonna have to tell us what you call it, Jake. But it's the most egregious ranking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, who's the <laughs> second pitcher that you have a dispute with of Jake's? So, the second pitcher moving slightly down the rankings. I want to talk about. So, the next pitcher is Sean Manea. He's at 32. But I kind of want to talk about this in the context of this sort of this. I don't know if tier is the right word, but this range from 32 down to 37. So I'll go through Sean Manea, 32, Nathan Eovaldi, 33, Joe Ryan, 34, Zach Allen, 35, Eric Lauer, 36, Jesus Lazardo, 37. I think out of those guys, I would put Manea at the back of that range at 37 behind Lauer and Lazardo. And let me let me go ahead and, and pull up the page. 
Um, You're spilling all of Jake's trade secrets here. <laughs> Just list them one through a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't have a copy of this, Jaron, and Jake doesn't have a copy of my hitter rankings. He just sends it out to the guest. Well, well now everyone has like a release. Now everyone has basically 30 idea. through 40. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll send them to you next time we do this. It's, you should probably have them if you're going to participate in the segment at all. I don't know why I didn't send them earlier. I can, I can do the same. The guys I want to talk about mainly, obviously, my boy Eric Lauer and the guy that Jake dropped and I picked up and is now a stud. Not to rub it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But... Well, what's <laughs> next? Next question. Um, I would put Sean Manea behind those two guys in Lauer and Lazardo for a couple reasons. Um, first is I think of the people who are likely to move, uh, this is going to be a strange argument. I think Lauer and Luzardo moving forward are going to be more likely to move up the list and improve than Sean Manea is. I think Sean Manea is about where, like performance-wise, I think he's about where he's going to be. And he started off the season strong last year and kind of fell off a little bit towards the end of the season. So question whether it's going to last the whole year. Um, but I also think that Manea is more likely than Lauer and Luzardo to drop down the list. So sort of the same thing, but not quite the same thing I'm saying there. I think also the signs from Lauer and Luzardo, um, tying back to the first point, both of them have shown increased velocity on their fastball, and it's paid off a lot, um, especially with Lauer. He's getting a ton of whiff, whiffs with his fastball, um, and he's he showed last season already that his, he's been able to use his uh, secondaries a lot more and in an effective manner. Sean Manea has actually lost velocity. He's, I haven't like heard this talked about, not by you guys or not on like the CBS podcast either, that Sean Manea's velocity on his fastball is actually also down this year on that sinker down from 92.1 to 90.9. So like uh, a mile an hour slower to 91 ish. Which is not um, insignificant for a starting pitcher. Yeah, a, a full mile an hour makes a big difference. Um, Sean Manea, he's giving a lot more hard contact than the other two. They're generating a lot more weak contact. Uh, Manea is giving up 27.4% hard contact. That's um, balls hit over 94, 95 miles per hour over total plate appearances. Um and for reference, that's where that's about where Pete Alonso is at. So he's the generic hitter is hitting the ball as hard as Pete Alonso against Sean Manea. I like uh, that context. If I can other, quickly jump in, I'm sure. guessing that he has not gotten as much mention as some of the other guys whose velocity is down because the results have been good. So maybe we're maybe you're suge- like sure. suggesting Manea's Manea has been lucky. Uh, not necessarily that, but 
the the concern is at least there and mm. he's kind of like an under the radar kind of guy i think in general and if he's if nothing interesting is happening with sean manea no one's talking about sean manea so Fair. then I, I think he's just not been talked about a lot and so his velocity drop since nothing has come of it he hasn't been mentioned but anyways sure. that's that's the general case. I think he should be closer to 37. I can see that. I mean, I don't have him that far off. He's only, he's 32. So that's not, I, I don't have him not too far off from there, but so I was actually kind of excited for Manea coming into last year. His velocity was up last year for the most part, but that hasn't stuck. So not great, but he's using his change up more, which I really, I, I wish I was a little more excited about. It was a really fantastic pitch last year, but it's been more good than great this year. Uh, I think the biggest thing for him being up this high is that he is remarkably solid, and that's that's been a trend that's kind of continued. He was a little spotty last year, but the results overall remarkably solid. Uh, he's gone at least six innings in every start but one. He's also thrown at least eighty six pitches in every start but one. So he's going to get volume. I think that he's he's in a tier right now with kind of Vivaldi and uh, Barrios is only a couple spots ahead of him. These are kind of the the steady Eddie guys. Uh, I, I think that um, I think he has a touch more upside than some of the guys, like some of the other pitchers we might view in this range. Like I don't have him anywhere near here, but Framber Valdez and Adam Wainwright. Uh, I think that. Manea possesses a pretty solid floor, even despite the velocity drop. And I'm honestly, I'm not convinced that the velocity is gone for good because he kind of jumped around a lot last year. Uh, and I, it's easy to forget. There was actually a stretch in from May to July where he was sitting 92, 93, and he had a 2.08 ERA, 1.02 whip. And the biggest thing was he held a 30% strikeout rate during that stretch. Now the velocity didn't stick. It was back down to 90 and 91 through September, but I, at least that shows me that he started out last year. He was throwing 90 91, kind of built up to 92 93, had that insane stretch in the middle of the summer. Uh, didn't last the whole year, but I, I, I don't think that I'm not totally convinced that that upside isn't attainable. So I guess why, I guess to answer the second part, why I don't have some of these other guys ranked out of them, and just, I guess, full disclosure, Zach Allen will, will be moving up ahead of him in my next update. So ignoring him, um, Lauer in particular, I think it has more to do with the track record. Like I said, I don't make huge sweeping changes. The fact that I have Lauer at 36, that's a pretty huge sweeping change from where I had him preseason. I think he had him in the 70s preseason. So this is, I've moved him up about four, like probably over 40 spots, which is pretty big for what I normally do. Lizardo, on the other hand, uh, he actually kind of spooked – He, I wish I was more pumped for him. I still am very pumped for him, but he's kind of spooked me a little bit where that's now, including the start yesterday, that's now three starts where his curveball is just – his curveball or his command of his curveball has kind of just disappeared on him. And we've seen that the results kind of haven't been there when that's happened. He's He really – he's he throws his curveball a lot. It's his best. It's his best pitch. The velocity is only going to take him so far. And if he's just going to have these 
seemingly random starts like yesterday, yesterday, that was against the Diamondbacks. That's supposed to be a start where he's supposed to roll over them. I'm kind of worried that he's going to be, he's going to have these inconsistent outings throughout the season where if he doesn't have, he just like the feel for the curveball just isn't there on a particular night that he's going to struggle because he doesn't really have anything other, anything else to turn to. The fastball is good, but it's not in the curry. It needs the curveball and the changeup really isn't anything to write him about. So I guess that's for me, Luzardo, that's in particular, that's why I don't have him as high. I don't think that, he possesses the floor that Manaya does. I could definitely see moving. You're absolutely right that those guys are those guys have much more potential to move up. From Luzardo and, and even Lauer, in particular, I'm more looking. I, I want the results to still be there consistently. Lauer does not have a track record. Like I said, I worry about Luzardo's curveball. So for right now, I'd rather. I I think I'd rather have the floor guys, like an Evaldi or a Manaya. So that, I guess that's kind of my my base argument for where I have them right now. But you're absolutely right that that could change as I get as the sample size for those other two guys gets larger. The biggest argument this... for Manaya remaining where he is is that my uncle, who's on the ground screw for the Pirates, met him when the Padres were in town recently. So I think case closed. <laughs> I, I I agree with that. If, if you have a connection to the guy, he's got to move up. Yep. Uh, Jerwin, tell me the second hitter that you have a discrepancy with in my hitter rankings. All right. So uh, for for the folks at home, there was some uh, offline discussion as to who would be talked about. And I, I think I found a winner in someone to move down uh, in – Seiya Suzuki uh, sitting here at 41 on Nate's rankings. Um, no movement was 41 heading in is 41 now. Um, had a really good, what, first week, week and a half. I didn't follow too closely. I don't know how long that stretch lasted. But since that really hot start has been not great. And I remember looking looking into him when he was playing really well, some of the underlying numbers were not encouraging. So he's, he's definitely regressed to where his, um, to where his actual performance suggests he should be. Um, So 41 right now, I, I don't know where I would put him, but it, it's a lot, lower i mean spoilers the next guy i want to talk about is tim anderson at 58 i think i would have suzuki behind him yeah you're not going to get an argument from me really uh as soon as jerwin pointed say a suzuki out to me i was like shoot i miss i missed him in my rankings update uh i definitely got too excited about his start to the season as jerwin mentioned he was 41 in my first set of rankings Obviously, I mentioned just now that I meant to move him down, but the original blame is that I should not have been all the way up at 41 with him based on two weeks of an MLB career, because <laughs> he's, he's new to the MLB this year. Um, but you guys can't blame me when I have my older brother in my ear all the time telling me how good Seiya Suzuki was to start the season, who... You know, Nick, of course, has him on his team. 
The only thing I'll say in defense of Seiya Suzuki, it's not a, a defense to suggest that he should be at 41 because he will be moving down in my next rankings update. Uh, I will not miss him this time. He is a high OBP, OBP player, and the thing that really got me was he kind of faked us out in the first two weeks. I think he hit four home runs in his first two weeks, so he was looking like he was going to be hitting for pretty good power early on. But you mentioned Jerwin; he has been ice cold since. I don't. I, did, I haven't really decided how far I'm dropping him yet. But just taking a look at some of the guys that I have ranked, you know, around the 60 range, I'll probably move him down to, if I had to guess, below 65, maybe outside the top 70. He has been really bad since those first two weeks of the season, and I think I was way too overzealous to to have him so high after just a two-week sample. I guess if I could offer just a very partial defense, this could be uh, this could be the stretch where pitchers are starting to adjust to him, and he needs to adjust back because they didn't have like, they didn't have any data on him coming in. So that that could be something, but I. I know we said that he hit like four home runs in the first two weeks or beginning of the season. He has four home runs on the season. So he has hit zero since then. And uh, I, I mean, I guess just I, over the past 30 days, um, which I guess is pretty much everything except that first two week stretch, he is only averaging 1.8 points per game and he's striking out a ton. Yeah. And Jake, to give you an idea of some of the guys that I have ranked, 64, I have Willie Adamas. 69, I have Teoscar Hernandez. 70, I have Christian Yelich. 74, I have Rowdy Telez. So somewhere in that range feels right to me to have Seiya Suzuki. I don't know who you have like a rent like ahead of them. This is this is why we got to exchange rankings next time. But uh, are you shocked that I have some of those guys solo? I am shocked that you have some of those guys solo because I'm thinking the only guy I would have. Suzuki ahead of would be Teles. Yeah, I mean, let's see. I'll 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 name you off in order from let's say sixty five to seventy or sixty four to seventy because I mentioned I have Willie Thomas at sixty four. Yasmani Grandal sixty five. This one was probably a I should have probably moved him down, but Randall Gritchick sixty six. Jeff McNeil, 67, Julio Rodriguez, 68, Teoscar Hernandez, 69, Christian Yelich, 70. I'm going to be honest with you. I actually, I, my first instinct is to say that I would have Suzuki ahead of Grichik, but I'm not so sure that I would. I think that's, yeah. I think they're pretty close. Yeah. Like I said, man, hitter rankings are tricky. They, 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 are, they are. It felt very tricky when I was like first 50. I, Let's take Suzuki out of the equation because he should not be in the top 50. But the first 50 rankings that I made felt very easy. It was the last, it was the bottom 50 because I ranked 100 hitters. I was like, oh my gosh, where am I going to put people? (laughs) It's just, it comes down to a certain point where it's just like, what criteria do you use to, to say a guy should be at 57 versus 72? Like there just comes down to a point where it's it's really hard to rank guys, but it's Jake, also oh go ahead. It's Jordan. also really hard this early in the season because I've been like racking my brain, like looking at the trade market, figuring out like who do I want 
trying to figure out like is this guy worth trading for and stuff like that like you can look at their numbers and like their expected stats their savant sliders all that stuff like that's all one thing if they're all like blue and you can be like okay what they're doing right now is not real but this early in the season even if they're all like 90th percentile you then have to ask like okay are they going to stay 90th percentile if it's like mike trout probably but if it's you know uh yandy diaz who i who i dropped this week not likely mm-hmm. yeah and like another another hard thing for me is like like i think i mentioned my my thing to watch for in last week's episode was watching uh or maybe it was two weeks ago eric lauer and jp crawford like I have JP Crawford and another guy like similar to him, Taylor Ward. They're sitting at 83 and 84 in my hitter rankings. It's not so much that they haven't been like they've been awesome. It's just that like I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> like we're talking about JP Crawford and Taylor Ward. I don't know what to do with that when guys right behind them are Cody Bellinger, Charlie Blackman, Dalton Varsho. Guys right in front of them are Bobby Witt Jr., Chaz, Chaz, uh, Jazz Chisholm. It's it's so yeah. It's such like a a subjective exercise. It's it's interesting. It's almost like fantasy baseball is hard. Yeah, fair point. Jake, we have you queued up. Uh, Jerwin has one more dispute with your pitcher rankings, and you have a name for this for this last dispute. Yeah, so Jerowin, tell me, which one of my pitchers that I have ranked is the most egregious ranking that I should be ashamed of, and because of this ranking, should never be allowed to rank again? So, uh, not to let Jake off the hook, for and since I, I stuck with Suzuki for Nate's rankings, someone who he already admitted I missed him, I should have moved him down. I was going to pick Steven Matz, who is still in the top 100 somehow in Jake's rankings. He admitted, I don't know why he's still there. He's like a good 10 spots too high. I didn't pick that. I had some mercy. But for the record, Jake did have one of those as well. Ranking is hard. But the worst pick, I'm going to go with my boy, Tariq Skubal, sitting currently at 53. Now, again... I don't, I'm not going to make a case that he should be like top 30 or anything like that. However, I do like him more, at least into the top 50. Tyler Malley is above him at 52. He's really been struggling a lot this year. Tariq Skubal pitched yesterday and made this pick for me look really good. Granted, it was against the A's, but I watched the game um his slider was good which is his that that's kind of his make it or break it pitch like if his slider is good he's going to be good that start and his fastball command i thought was really good he was you know the setter the the catcher was setting up and he was putting the ball in the glove so that was a really good sign from scooble um so scooble off to a hot start got a really young lot of good talent tyler malley not a great start. I think he can move him above. Nestor Cortez has been up and down. Uh, Luis Garcia, 
I don't have a lot of opinions on him. You can move him up to 49 if you want to make room for Scooble at 50. Framer Valdez, I just don't like his profile as a pitcher. He is, he's that like gets a lot of ground balls, gets people out, but doesn't make them. He He's not a huge strikeout guy. I don't like that in a pitcher. And I realize it's viable. If you have a really good one in that category of pitcher, you're going to be doing, you're going to be doing fine, but. Can I interject? Sure. Nestor Cortez, 141 ERA. Nestor Cortez has been up and down. He had a, he had a couple of bad starts, didn't he? One bad start. It was his his second to last start, but he has been awesome. Jake, I'm about to jump in here and start swinging. You've Nestor Cortez. You've Nestor Cortez outside your top fifty. The fifty-one, yeah. Good grief! That's your most egregious ranking, in my opinion. Yeah, we already talked. Or, uh, Mike already already moved. I know, Cortez but I'm, I'm about to start 30. giving you more grief for that. <laughs> no, back to back to Scooble. Yeah, I mean, I I guess like I I do like Cortez. I just, I mean, he probably deserves to be up in the top fifty. I. I still think he's a bit gimmicky. That's the only thing I it works. It works though. Not only it, works, it's 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 helping him dominate. Yeah, it, it really works, but I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of the gim I'm not a fan of gimmicky pitchers like really in on Cueto. I I don't know. Uh Dontro Willis was cool, but that even that came to an end. I'm Jaren, sorry, back did, to spend. I was I was gonna say, Jaron, did you have anything else to add on Scooble before so, before I cut you off? Sorry. Um, he's a he's a stud and he deserves to be top fifty. As he is playing really. Oh, I w- I will add one actual serious thing. The the bad starts that he's had. The first start of the year, I kind of chalk that up to being like a an extended spring training. He just he was not throwing his slider a lot, so it it couldn't be a good pitch for him. I I think he was just trying stuff in that start and. We know now that that doesn't work. It was early in the year. It was probably really cold in Detroit. I, I forgive him for that. The other uh, bad start that he's had, the Tigers had four errors in that game and three in one inning. So he wasn't great in that game. That was another one where his slider was, wasn't working for him. But three error, three errors in one inning, four across your entire start, that – I feel like that can mess with your head, especially when you're a young pitcher like Scooble. So I I give him like a, a half forgiveness for that one. Um, but his other starts, yes, one was against the A's, but he's he's been really looked really good. And I I forget I don't remember all of the teams that are in that division, but I know Cleveland's in that division. So they're not great. He he doesn't have he's he's not pitching against the Yankees in Toronto all the time. So he's got good matchups as well. So I guess just to get a little more context, is your beef more so that Scooble isn't ranked where I have some of the other uh breakout pitchers from this year, like um right? I don't think he should be that high, certainly. I, I, I don't think that at all. He, I don't think he's like Eric Lauer and Luzardo up in the 30s. I, I think three spots up to number 50 
being your most egregious mistake in this entire thing is a whole three <laughs> spots. But I, I think three spots up to 50 is an easy case for me. Tarek Skubal, or as I like to call him, Tariq the Freak, even though it's a mispronunciation, is a stud. And he I, again, I I like upside. This is this I think is kind of a, a difference you and I have. And you're probably right because you've had more success in this league, but I, I just like upside a lot. <laughs> it's very appealing to me as a manager. Yeah, so I guess to lead us off with with uh, with Tarek, um, I, this is kind of a weird exercise because I thought like I was kind of the high guy with with Scooble because I know that for a lot of other, uh, I, I'm, nobody really seems to talk about him very I guess, I don't know, glowingly. I I thought I was the high guy, so then Jerwin comes in and it's like oh, you know you're too low. So this is like I'm giving the reverse of kind of the argument I thought I was giving, but. Anyways, I do really like Google. I, I had him pretty high going in. I actually haven't moved him a whole lot. I think I moved him up from at him around starting pitcher 60. So he has moved up a little bit. Uh, he's using his four seamer a lot less, which is really, which is great. Uh, his four seamer has easily been his worst pitch. He's kind of replaced that usage of the sinker, uh, which is better. Um, the swinging strike rate on the, on all of his pitches, other, other than his sinker, um, is more or less actually kind of the same as last year. Uh, and I also something that I found kind of weird for him was he's throwing all of his pitches in the zone a lot more. Uh, and that is despite the, and despite the swinging strike rate being about where it is, where it was last year. And uh, he, he hasn't really gotten hit really hard. I, I shouldn't say hit really hard. He hasn't really gotten punished for being in the zone and having a lower swinging strike rate on all of his pitches than he did last year. Uh, my first worry here for him uh, is kind of that if guys start taking more hacks at his sinker, because his sinker gets a lot of called strikes. That's something that, that Scooble has done really well this year. He's, he's gotten a lot of, I, I guess you could call them stolen strikes, where he's getting a lot of called strikes early in the count. And I'm wondering if as that approach, because this, this was not how he really operated this much last year. I'm wondering if as the book starts to get out that he's, he's going in with this approach and it doesn't look like his pitches have more deception to them where he's not getting as many swings and misses on really any of them. If he's living in the zone more, I start worrying if hitters are going to start to be more aggressive against that approach that he's going to get hit harder is going to get hit more often. I, I think he's benefiting right now from hitters being a little too passive when they're facing him. Uh, and I'm, my first, like overall, my first worry is what if they start being more aggressive and they start taking more hacks? Because it doesn't look like right now, it doesn't look like they're missing on a whole lot of them. Uh, my second worry would be the home run rate. Uh, Scoobles kryptonite last year was the home run he gave up 2.11 home runs for nine last year which is an absurd number but he has come back to the complete opposite end of the spectrum this year he's now at under one he's at 0.68 home runs per nine that will come up as the as offense starts to heat up and i'm wondering how much that will come up if i could uh, if i could just make a, a point on that i think this year sure it might come up a little bit but with the dead and ball this year, I think 
it's closer to what it's going to remain throughout the year, especially if he's actually made an improvement in getting weaker contact. The home run rate is is going to remain closer to where it is currently, given the debtor ball. Yeah, I can absolutely buy that. Like, I don't think he's going to go back to giving up over two per nine last year. That that was just a it's just kind of a nutty number there. But uh, I I do think he's going to go up a little bit. Um, he's actually he is allowing less fly balls overall this year. Uh, I, I think the problem though is that he's he's running. He does still get hit pretty hard, and he's. Some of the some of these like the ground ball rate hasn't shot up the way that you would want, which I guess means that these are all turning into hard hit line drives. So I'm going to guess that he's going to run a higher BABIP than we would normally like to see. So I guess in conclusion, I do like Scoobo a lot. I'm just not convinced enough in the changes that he's made. I'm not convinced that the changes. I'm not convinced that he has the upside that would warrant being put into some of these into the same class as the other breakout pitchers like McGill, Wright, Luzardo, sort of that tier there. Uh, I, I would think about bumping him over some of the slower starters. I, I could definitely see maybe getting, maybe working him into the top 50, but I couldn't put him out of Cortez. Probably couldn't put him. Garcia. It's going to, it's probably going to take some of these guys falling out of the top, falling out here, maybe like a Patrick. Sandoval continues to struggle or Framber Valdez blows up where it'd probably be the only way I get him into the top 50. Or Scoople just goes on a tear and Tariq the Freak proves me right and then we all win. So there you have Jake's most egregious ranking. Jerwin, I don't know if you are presenting it this way to suggest that Tim Anderson is my most egregious ranking, but nonetheless... Uh, your third hitter discrepancy in my rankings is Tim Anderson. Elaborate. Uh, well, I think yours would have probably been Suzuki, but as we said already, that's just one you kind of you kind of missed as you were going through. You know, we can we can forgive and forget. Uh, I don't know, Tim Anderson. I, I'm. I mean, I traded for him, so I'm a little bit biased, but he's just been going off so far this year and his underlying numbers have looked really good to support it. He's just hitting the crap out of the ball. He is seventh in hard contact, a 40.4% per plate appearance uh, rate first in expected batting average uh, fourth in ex Woba weighted on base percentage. Um, not striking out a ton slugging is at 535 23rd best uh his weak spot is like no walks at 1.9% rate but he doesn't have to walk he's just slapping the ball around so um i don't know i just he looks really good. I, I think the th- big thing for me is in your previous rankings, he was 58 in the latest rankings. He's also 58. Uh, he should move up a little bit guys ahead of him. Whit Merrifield struggled a lot. He's I think been, he he's been really him. bad. He's been really yeah. bad. Yeah. Max Muncy's also at 51. 
I think he can drop below someone like Tyler Anderson. Um, well, I, I wouldn't put Max Muncy behind Tyler Anderson, the pitcher. That'd be pretty low. Sorry, <laughs> Tim Anderson. Yeah, Tyler Anderson doesn't even pitch anymore because the DH is dead, or the DH is universal now, and uh, baseball's ruined. I think he pitches for the Dodgers, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, he would have had a DH in him. Well. Anyway, I, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I see, I see your point. And to be honest with you, like it sounds weird to say, I like Tim Anderson, and I know that that sounds backwards because I have him at fifty-eight. And honestly, Whit Merrifield should be below him. Like that one's an easy one. All that to say, though, I still think Whit Merrifield. Tim Anderson is in the proper range. He finished as the number 12 overall shortstop last year and the number 67 overall hitter. And I was kind of going through his performance over the last couple seasons. He's kind of hovered between like 2.8 and three points per game, which is a very good hitter and usually a guy that I'm targeting. But then I kind of went to... Like, has Tim Anderson ever been a player that I have looked to target in a trade? And the answer for me is no. And I kind of, like, was asking myself why. Like, why wouldn't you want a 2.8 to 3 points per game player on a good team in the White Sox? And I kind of went to just shortstop rankings in general. And you look at the list of shortstops out there. I know Tatis is kind of a cop-out because he's hurt right now, but he's coming back. So there's Fernando Tatis, Bo Bichette, Trey Turner, Wander Franco, Xander Bogarts. Trevor Story's been really bad, so I'm not going to list him ahead of Tim Anderson. But there's also guys in a similar range to him. Corey Seager, I prefer, I think, to Tim Anderson still. Guys I'm less enthused about, but still I think compare similarly to Tim Anderson, Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Jorge Polanco. So it's not so much that Tim Anderson is not a good hitter. He's a very good hitter. He's just like, it's just, there's so much available at his position that it's really hard for me to get excited when he doesn't, like he does a lot of things well. He's not, he doesn't excel. Like he's not elite at any one particular thing compared to the other, to the field of the rest of shortstops. He has great batted ball metrics. And you mentioned he doesn't strike out. He has a 96th percentile K rate, which is really good. You also mentioned he never walks either. Second percentile walk rate. Um, so those two things kind of net out to be neutral, which can be a good thing in our format in points. You know, he's not scoring you negative points. But uh, I think another thing that Tim Anderson has been known for previously is his sprint speed, but this year it's close to league average, 58th percentile. So all of that is just leading me back to the same conclusion. He is a good player at a loaded position, which I think is probably the primary driver for why he is at, you know, outside the top 50 in my hitter rankings. I hear yeah, that's, that range sounds appropriate to me. I think he could be a couple spots higher to Jerwin's point. Like, yeah, he, yeah, he should he should move like there should be almost some micro movements within different tiers of hitters. A guy like Tim Anderson, like Tim Anderson and Whit Merrifield, those two feel like they should be in the same tier. 
But Whit Merrifield has been ice cold, and Tim Anderson has been red hot. So that's a perfect example that you pointed out, Jerwin. Tim Anderson should definitely move up a couple spots. Whit Merrifield should move down a couple spots. So I think that I have some work to do with playing around with Tim Anderson and pitch or not pitchers, hitters like him that are either super hot or super cold, just kind of doing these little micro adjustments. But I, I still feel good about the range that I have him ranked in. Jerwin, how high would you move him up? That's an excellent question. I think so. I can see moving him up at least two spots, maybe bump Cedric Mullins up. Sorry to keep naming names on your rankings. Oh, I don't care. But (laughs) Kyle Schwarber's also struggled. Very streaky. Very streaky. Yeah, very streaky guy in general. Um, and, And I just look at the the three shortstops you have ranked above, like right above him. So the next one up at 53 is Carlos Correa. The next one above that, I believe his story is Ketel Marte is second base, right? Yeah. I think technically the, the second shortstop would be Cronenworth, but he's not really like a true shortstop. Yeah, Yeah. Utility guy. But then 39 is Simeon. I mean, yeah, he should come down. He's been, he's been, he's looked awful this year. Yeah. He's looked awful this year. Like, I hear your point. Like, there are a lot of big names at shortstop. And I would expect as the season progresses, a lot of those names are going to return to their usual. But for the rankings right now, Tim Anderson has been better than all of those guys. Sure. Um, I think he's even above Corey Seager, who's at 38, right above Semyon for you. I, I don't think he's – I mean, you can make a case that he's a better player than some of those guys. I don't know about Corey Seager, and I think the jury's out on Semyon right now. We'll see if he – if Semyon – He's going to be a really interesting was. case study because I mentioned yes. – we, we talked about Trey Turner earlier tonight about him being the second overall shortstop and the second overall second baseman in 2021 last year over a full season. Mm-hmm. Guess who's number one? Marcus Semyon. Marcus Semyon was a top five hitter overall last year and number one at shortstop and number one at second base. So like, it sounds crazy to say like Marcus Semyon's in my top 40 hitters, but he was literally a top five hitter last year. So it's, it's yeah. tough, tough to treat some of those situations. Yeah, Semyon's an interesting one because it'll be, I, f- I forget which years it is, but like it'll be interesting to see if he's, if he pans out to be the guy he was last year or, you know, what, whatever 2020 or 2019, 2018, w- one of those years where he just wasn't the guy he was last year. So mm. is he, is he closer to, peak Simeon or is he going to remain closer to you know middle of the road nobody Simeon sure yeah well that was your very long and drawn out but I liked it a lot uh rankings debates segment guys let's look ahead to our week five matchups with the matchup preview Jake what is your thing to watch for this week uh, so my thing to watch for is prospects making their second first impressions like Jose Miranda, Royce Lewis, Alec Thomas, George Kirby. They all came up recently. It seems like they, everybody kind of got promoted right at the same time. 
but uh, this is a chance for them for this for us to see a larger sample size from them and to uh, see if the playing time sort of gets more consistent for some of them. See if uh, kind of get our get our second first impressions here as the sample size gets bigger. I like that. My thing to watch for, I talked about it earlier, the hitting versus pitching performances. Sorry, I don't know if I said that right. Performances of our league median winners. So these splits are something that I want to pay attention to moving forward to kind of light the path, so to speak, of which basket, you know, in general, you should be putting your eggs in more heavily, you know, offense versus pitching. So that's what I'm watching for. Jaron, what about you? Um, in a similar thread, um, my thing to watch for is will struggling hitters ba- bounce back in May and in the summer months? A lot of experts have been talking about, you know, hitting's usually down in April. It's been especially down this year, partly due to the the dead end ball this season and some like weird weather and stuff. Um, but as things warm up, as you know, the weather improves and balls start to to fly more. It's our second matchup in May. So it'll be interesting to see if some of these guys who uh, like a Whit Merrifield or Marcus Semyon, some of those guys, if they start to improve or if, you know, the person they've been this past April and the very first part of March, May, um, is closer to who they are now. Um, I think you mentioned earlier in the podcast, like like you said, the hitter versus the the top teams being really hitter heavy. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that hitting's been so down. So if you do have good hitting, you're just that much better than the league. And I think last year you mentioned on the podcast that like hitting hitting is where you find your floor. So if you have really good hitting, your floor is going to be low or your floor is going to be high. And so you're more likely to squeak past in matchups, make the median and, and, and that sort of thing. Matchup predictions. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I'm not doing too well this year. Seven and 11 is my record. Jake is doing a little bit better sitting at 10 and eight. The, combination of guests that we've had been really strong so far with eight with a record of eight and four jaron let's see if you can continue the streak with our first matchup of the week we have weak pullout hitter versus team no name jaron we'll let you lead us off who do you have in this matchup i'll go ahead and and take sam i don't think that's a big surprise he's he's a really strong team and a really consistent team uh team no name scott has been I'm, I, I hesitate now because I said this about a player before. Uh, I said this about Cortez before being up and down. But No Name, <laughs> I believe, has been up and down uh, yes. at least a bit this year. He, he's kind of a boomer bust team right now. So uh, I could be wrong, but I'll go with the safe pick in, in Sam. Jake, you're kind of boxed in here. Are you uh, continuing the trend going with Sam? Oh, yeah, of course. I also want to preference that I, I made all my picks on Monday. So I have, I have not looked at anything because I thought those I thought those were the rules. But... Yeah, Nick broke the rules. Yeah, when he came on. But yes, I also looked uh, on Monday before game started. I also picked Sam in this matchup. Weak pullout hitter. 
Second matchup of the week, Demons in the infield versus Gone Forever. Jake, we'll go to you first. I had you in this one. You know, that's all. We <laughs> continue to pick my team. I'm picking my team as well. And my team continues to struggle. So maybe I should start picking against my team. Jaron, what do you think about this matchup? Uh, I'm sorry if this is a, a jinx this week, Ben, because I'm also picking you. Eddie's been uh, he's trending in the wrong direction, might be a strong word, but I did beat him last week. So maybe he has another week, week and W E A K W E E K. Mm. Um, mm. And you pull out the win here. I hope, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. <laughs> the next matchup is team positivity versus the Institute, the walk Institute of research. I like the vibes in this matchup. I'm going with your team, Jerry. What do you think about your own matchup here? Love it. Well, I wouldn't be being positive if I didn't pick my team. Obviously going with me, feeling good, feel good, play good, right? Yeah. Jake, what do you think? I went the other way. I picked Jordan in this one. You're, you're a man of the Institute, huh? Yes. He did his research. You got to tell me what that there there has to be some inside thing. Like and I feel like it's something that I said. It is not some, something no. Okay. No, okay. It, I just it is sure. it is an inside thing, but also he literally did his research. So like That's good. Yes and no. I just want to make sure like I didn't like unknowingly say last year at some point that Jer or Jordan like didn't do his research and now it's just a thing. <laughs> No, I guess we're just all, we're almost like mocking him for putting in more effort in a backwards sort of way. Nice. Picking <laughs> on him for being successful. I yes. like it. Fourth matchup of the week, Jake's fantasy baseball team versus Buxton Revenge Tour. Jake, I have your team winning this matchup in, a, in an unsurprising pick. Uh, well, we're going to go to Jerwin before you <laughs> comment on your own matchup here. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Jake. Uh, two upsets in a row is a tall task. So, yeah. Jake, actually, I actually picked Brennan into this one. I just I don't know. I just had like a bad feeling going into this week where like he had me in volume and and pitcher volume, anyways. And yeah. like I didn't I didn't love a lot of my starts this week. I don't know. I mean, I weird to say. Like I know that. Uh, I don't think that's come true. I think that my offense has been more of the problem this week, but I actually had Brennan winning this one. I think you just wanted to make Brennan feel good. Brennan, you better wake up, man. You, your performance in this league has been trending. I mentioned that Courtney's performance has been trending down, but Brendan is really on the downward slope. That was Mr. Uh, First-round upset every year, making it into at least the third and fourth place game year after year. and. So, Early returns of the season might be Brendan missing playoffs for the second year in a row after never having missed playoffs uh, before the 2021 season. So better light a fire under your ass, Brendan. Fifth matchup of the week, Team C Deemer versus Big Money Mike. Jake, I saw that Courtney picked up her first win despite not rebranding. Uh, that was an anomaly. It won't happen again. So you're picking Mike in this matchup? Yeah, her players are still totally demoralized from having no name. Jaron, what do you think about this matchup? 
Um, obviously, I'm pro rebrand the team. I know you have it in you, Courtney. I know you've got a great name. Stick it to the league, change the name, start winning games. It works every time. But also, I, I am picking her this week. She Interestingly, I think she, I was looking at this recently. She is the team that bucks the trend that you mentioned, Nate, where she has decent hitting and not great pitching this year, but is still one of the lower teams. Anyways, random side note, continue. Yeah, Scott, Scott's the other team that bucks that trend. Um, but honestly, I was looking at Scott's uh, point total so far. It's because both his hitting and his pitching have been among the bottom of the league. So it's really hard to win that way when that's the case. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a that's a pretty pretty good recipe to uh be at the bottom of the standings if you're at the bottom for both offense and pitching. I'm going with big money Mike to break up the tie here. Uh break up the tie meaning of the three of us making picks. The last matchup of the week, Freedom All Stars versus the NFTs, two of our top three teams squaring off. And I have Nick, I don't want to say continuing to skid because he only took one loss last week and it was head-to-head, so he still beat the median. But I have JC winning this matchup head-to-head. What do you have, Jerwin? Uh, I'm going to, I just like pulling off an upset twice in a row is hard. Losing as the favorite twice in a row, hard. I'm going to stick with Nick. Jake, I, was, I thought I was going to be like edgy and pick JC in this one, but I guess that's kind of a clunker after you uh, revealed your pick. I mean, he's a top three team. Nick's team is number one, but JC's team is number three. I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to, for JC to beat him. I think JC, I can't remember, but I, I think when I was making this pick, I saw that JC has him in pitching volume or at least is matching. Yeah, he, yeah, he did. I, I, I think he does. So there's your matchup predictions for this week. Uh, Jake, kick off our Around the League portion of the podcast with your League History Fact of the Week. All right. Since Jerwin is on today, I thought we should do a Jerwin-themed League History Fact. Uh, Jerwin has been with us for six years, including this one. Uh, I feel like this was kind of a meme during our draft where we talked about, you know, like the Brendan guys and the, the, uh, the Nate guys, the Courtney guys. But I did add a portion to the to the league history uh, league history document where we can actually look at this. Where uh, who has who has been on Jerwin's roster the most? There are three players that Jerwin has rostered for four of his seasons in the low expectations league, including this one. Are there any guesses as to any of the, who any of these three players would be? Do you, do you want me to guess or Nate to guess? Because I feel like I'd be good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone can guess. Okay, wait, wait. Repeat the question. So there Sorry, are there mind. are three. So there are three players that Jerwin has rostered for four out of six uh, seasons in our league. Okay, I'm I'm going to say one is Trey Turner. That is wrong. He is not on here. What? He He's had him last year. He had him this guy. year. And I remember his team name at one point was Trey Turner's Lemonade. So that's at least three seasons. It's it's uh, it's not four though. I know, but I swear you. Okay. I forgot about that name. That's a top tier name. <sighs> okay. The only other guy I have in my mind is Lucas Giolito. 
Oh, come on. The, the first one is easy. Jerwin, you sound like you know who it is. Aaron Nola. It is Aaron Nola. At four. I kept oh, him for there was, three there years, was only so there was only one guy. Well, I guess there's three. The, the Giolito was yeah, Giolito Giolito was also on there. Come on, you're not going to give me any credit. You're just going to leave me hanging, and then when Jerwin jumps in with his Nola pick, you're going to say, "Oh yeah, that was the one." I had the first right guess. I said Giolito. So forgive yeah, me. I can Nate. only I, get, I can only I give you had him that long. I can only give you <laughs> partial credit though with Giolito because I, I got Turner wrong. Well, so. I, since we had ESPN before, I could there was a limited amount I could track. We're pretty sure that that Jerwin had Giolito during the during one of those other seasons. I'll take pretty sure. Pretty sure. I'll take problem is sure. I don't know for sure. I only had on record, I only have Giolito on Jerwin's team three times. I will I will say I I know for sure. Obviously drafted him this year, drafted him last year. Traded for him in 2019, and no, 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 definitely a fourth season because I I drafted him and dropped him part way through the season when he was still bad. Well, while we're on this track, I'm pretty sure he had Trey Turner for a fourth season. So, <laughs> <laughs> who's the third guy, Jake? The third guy is the guy that Jerwin mercilessly trashed earlier this episode. Sean Manaya. That definitely oh, seems like a Jerwin guy now that you bring that up. He kind of is, I'm not going to lie. But I, I, I feel like I've soured on him recently, obviously. <laughs> you went to a better team. I, I didn't velocity say I had a, down, but I didn't say I had reason for souring on. Well, you him. did, you did. You have a the the, the velo is down. I I give you that. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that, like Jeopardy style league history fact of the week. News and notes, fellas. Uh, this one's going to be brief. It's all about pitching this week. The Seattle Mariners called up top prospect George Kirby, who made his season debut pitching six shutout innings of four-hit, seven-strikeout ball against the Tampa Bay Rays on Sunday. Guys, of all the pitching prospects to debut over the past couple seasons, where does Kirby rank in terms of excitement for you, Jerwin? I'll go to you first. I'll be honest. Didn't know about him until I think it was Brendan very early in the season offered a offered a trade to me in which he was involved and I had to look him up. That's on me. Many you play, you play Dynasty and you don't know who George Kirby is? Yeah, he was he was a little farther down the list than than I think the guys that that league tends to deal with. So I mean, I should know better. I I will admit, but alas, Kirby fell through the cracks for me. Okay, Jake, how about you? Uh, so I thought that the question was kind of broad. So I like I don't remember my exact excitement level for all the pictures that were coming okay, up over the that's years. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I guess um, to narrow the question more, in terms of guys who you think could to ha- could have immediate success as a starting pitcher in MLB, is Kirby right there with the premier guys since you've started playing fantasy baseball? Um. I'm going to say no, because while his fastball is, is, it's good. Uh, his secondaries didn't really, it, 
I guess it's kind of unfair to say like they didn't wow me, but like I, they didn't strike me as anything special quite yet. So I don't know that he's going to be like an impact pitcher right away. It's actually kind of funny. He's like, he's, he's very similar to his teammate, Logan Gilbert. And that mm. they, they each have. Feeling the thunder fastballs. is my second question. Yeah. I saw, well, I saw that comparison. <laughs> I thought that was really good. He's like, he's, they, they each have really good fastballs. Gilbert's is actually like Gilbert. I, w- I will say, I, I think his fastball's like outstanding, whereas Kirk Kirby's is more so very good. But they each don't have they each don't have like real good secondary. So they're like, it's kind of funny how similar they are. Yeah, Kurt Gilbert has the better fastball, but Kirby has the better command. Uh, my second question to these guys was, how does George Kirby compare to his teammate Logan Gilbert? But Jake already made that comparison. Jerwin, any thoughts to add? I know you said you don't really know too much about Kirby. Yeah, I mean, in terms of excitement, my dynasty league, I've had guys like Urias and Giolito. And I I joined the league late, so I had to, like, draft a whole team from scratch. And then I just drafted a bunch of pitchers and traded for a bunch of prospects. So I've I've had a, a lot of excitement in terms of waiting for guys to come up. But... I for Jake, I too watched Nick Pollock's breakdown videos in which he talked about Kirby and how he's almost exactly like Gilbert. They have like the same weird slider that doesn't it's more like a cutter. Anyways, a lot of a lot of stuff there. That's my thoughts. Great. Uh, Zach Wheeler, Marcus Stroman and Adam Wainwright were placed on the covid injured list. Guys, are we expecting COVID to have a significant impact for the third season in a row? Or are we just kind of hoping that these early season COVID IL placements are going to pass? I mean, I guess it's a pretty big deal to everybody still because they they canceled a game over it today. I did see that. I did see that. My personal opinion is this should be, let's just let's just move on here. But, you know. I Agreed. guess it's a, I guess it's a big deal to, to them still. Jaron, <laughs> any thoughts to add? <laughs> yeah, I think it probably shouldn't, but I think it probably will. Yeah, that's probably the correct assessment on this. I will say board. probably this shouldn't be a thing. <laughs> the last piece of news is that Chris Sale experienced a non-baseball medical setback that the Red Sox GM came out and said would set him behind at least a few weeks. What are the reasonable expectations for Chris Sale this year in 2022? Uh, Jerry, we'll ask you first. I mean, he could come back and be impactful, but I also just don't know because – I. I can't remember exactly. He came back at some point last year and looked okay, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. He looked pretty good, actually. Yeah, so he could come back and be impactful, but like, how many times is this going to happen to him before it just does him in, right? Mm -hmm. Jake, Uh, thoughts on 2022? Yeah, I guess I I got to dispute. I don't think he looked... He he definitely didn't look like Chris Sale to me last year, at least. Like, he... Velocity was down. He was getting he was getting hit a lot last year, but I, I don't I don't really like. It's hard to tell because you, in one hand, you'd really hope that the velocity would come back up, but I, I think that the days of him being like what was he like 
mid to high 90s. I guess he was probably mid 90s for the most part. I think those days are probably gone. So he had, I, a, he had a 316 ERA last year. He averaged over 12 points per game. Listen, I'm not saying he was vintage Chris Sale, but for not having pitched at all in the in two years, I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still think he'll, like he he should still get a lot of. He's he's always going to get a lot of strikeouts, but I don't know. I I don't think that we're going. I don't know that like. So we see how Verlander has has rebounded this year, and he's he's looked pretty good. I I don't know that Chris Sale is good. Like Verlander resembled. He doesn't totally resemble the old Verlander, but I don't think that Chris Sale is going to get as close as Verlander has to resembling his old self, if that makes sense. You keep taking the thunder away from my follow-up questions because my next question is, what do you guys expect for the rest of his career? Because I'll use a trade that's not really in the context of our league, but Nick in our Dynasty League recently traded what essentially equated to a first-round pick for Starling Marte, and Chris Sale. I know he traded like Matt Brash away and maybe another prospect, but in my eyes, it was basically a first round pick for Chris Sale and Starling Marte. Now, Starling Marte, I think, is probably worth that pick. Probably. Chris Sale, I would expect to just by name value, but like when it comes down to it, like I, I really don't expect much of Chris Sale for the rest of his career. I just feel like he's never going to pitch a full season workload again. Am I wrong for thinking that? I, I don't think so. People, I, there's actually been a lot of guys that have been worried about his mechanics for a while. Like you, you see him, he looks like his delivery is really funky, but there's, I, I know that that, that has been kind of a concern for people for a while where they've always sort of thought that they, he was going to break down and he's lasted so much longer than anybody thought possible. But I'm kind of worried that that all that is starting to catch up with him now. It's even like even like his body type. Like he he looks like he weighs like 120 pounds. He's He's (laughs) super tall. Yeah. So I I I worry that that's starting to catch up with him. Jerwin, anything to add on Chris Sale? Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of on the same page. Like he could come back and be decent. He could also go like the Madison Bumgarner route and just be like done and maybe a streaming option. Fair enough. That is it for episode six. Jaron, thanks for coming on. It was a lot of fun. I know we're going to have you back on at least one more time this season, potentially for that Jerwin Jordan power episode. Maybe we'll have you back on as a guest again. I know I think we have still one or two open guest slots. Um, but I had fun. I'm sure Jake had fun. Do you have anything to share with the people before before we get off? Um, I do I do have an open question and maybe we have time to get to your two responses real quick. But we got news that Jacob DeGrom's gonna be out until the all-star break. He is did start a throwing program, so some good news with the bad news. But the question is, who is going to make more start? Who who is going to start first for my team this year? Jacob Degrom or Grayson Rodriguez? I think it's going to be Grayson Rodriguez. I feel pretty uh, confident about yeah. that. 
Yeah, I guess I'd lean a little more towards Rodriguez. I don't know. I, don't, I don't want to come across too strongly because I don't really think this, but there is definitely a non-zero chance that we don't see Jacob DeGrom throw a pitch in the majors this year. Yeah, I agree with that. Plenty of, still plenty of time for a setback. We. I don't want to see that because he's on my team, but I don't, I don't want to see that either. But yeah, no one wants to see over that because that's bad for baseball. Yeah. Hey, hey, no one wants to see that less than me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you look at his past couple years, it's just like, it's starting to become a creeping thought. I don't think it's going to happen. The Mets have zero incentive to shut him down for the season unless he truly cannot throw because... He basically said before the season that he plans on exercising his opt-out. Who knows how that would play out, though, if he actually got hurt for the season, if he would feel comfortable going on the open market. I'm sure he still would, but I, it's so hard to know how that's going to play out. But, yeah, I think, I think I'm pretty confident Grayson Rodriguez will make the first start of those two for you. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and put in my first bold prediction a little preview for the the episode later in the year i think grayson rodriguez is going to outscore jacob Degrom this season i don't know that that's bold based on that's what bold. we were just talking about if jacob Degrom comes back and he looks like himself that's a tough sell how about i make a bold prediction go for it george kirby will outscore grayson rodriguez on a per start basis this season Ooh, i like that one that seems very biased because Kirby's on my team. Uh, and I, I, I love Grayson Rodriguez. I think he's going to be the better pitcher of the two long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, George Kirby reminds me, not, not in his arsenal, but in his command of Shane Bieber when he first came up and how quickly Shane Bieber was able to rise. Uh, it's because he was so good with his command, and Kirby has that same elite command. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to have him because I think he's going to kind of buck the trend of rookies struggling when they first debut. But we'll see. Time will tell. I think Grayson Rodriguez is going to be awesome too. But that's it. That's it for us guys. Uh we'll be back next week. I'm not sure if it's if it's just me and Jake, if we have somebody on, if it's me and somebody else, Jake and somebody else. I haven't looked, but we'll be back next week for episode seven. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you on the next one. Eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee